Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful for the time that we are in fellowship with one another and in fellowship with you. Lord, we ask simply for your spirit to rule and reign in our hearts, for you to overcome our doubts, our fears, our rebellion. Lord, open our eyes this morning to what is true and give us joy in that truth. Give us humility. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The internet has changed a lot, and it's changed a lot of things. One of the things that the internet has truly transformed, in many ways, is our vocabulary. And if you've been around, uh, if you were around 25 years ago before the internet, you may have had definitions for words that technology has modified just a bit. If you have not been around for 25 years, you may hear these words that I share today and you may say, does that mean something different too? Because you're so used to these words meaning what you think they mean. For instance, the word feed. Most of us think, well, that's what we do to our animals. We feed them. Or that's the pellets that we feed them. Well, to an internet person, someone who's up on technology, a feed is the data format that's used to provide data to different services that take data and then present it to you. For instance, Facebook. There is a feed that comes down that shows you all of the information and the posts that you want to see. There's another word that's been redefined, and it's called friend. Friend used to be somebody you'd invite over for a meal. Someone you would go to uh, a party or an engagement with. Now friend has turned into a verb. Will you friend me? Meaning to add me to a list of people that can communicate with you on social media. Let me give you another one. Viral. Viral used to mean solely that it was something like a virus that would, uh, a physical virus that would spread. Now it means something got really, really popular really, really fast. Here's another one. How about troll? Some of you might be professional Trollers. Troll used to be an ugly creature that lived under the bridge um, that the billy goats couldn't cross because of, right? Troll now means to deliberately offend somebody or provoke somebody to anger. The redefinition of words happens, and, and it's part of what culture does, and culture is the driving force behind words being redefined. This morning, we're going to look in Daniel chapter 1 and see a redefining for a purpose. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to Daniel chapter 1. As you're doing that, I'm going to read to you our verse of the year we're celebrating in 2022, being together, togetherness with each other, togetherness with God. Koinonia is the Greek word we studied this year, and it means to be together. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. 
and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, koinonia, with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Last week we looked at Daniel in the the opening verses, how there was an intentional effort to, to culturally blend in Daniel and his friends uh, and the leaders into their culture. Uh, and we ended with verse 3, uh, which I will go ahead and read. It says this, Then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. We're going to convert the best of the best from Israel into the best of the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. Uh, There was a reprogramming operation that took place and and it began uh, not suddenly. It was overt and, uh, and it was not hidden from anyone. Then verse 5, we get to the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. So they took these young men who were the best, the cream of the crop, and and they said, we are going to teach them how to be prized Babylonians. So you can imagine if they come to our church in our youth section right here, they take all of you youths and they say, look, we know that you like Baptist stuff. But we're going to take you to another country where you speak another language and we're going to teach you how to do our religion. And you're not going to have your, what's his name again? Jesus anymore. You're going to have the God named Ak. And we're going to take you and teach you how to be Ak's servants. And that's what they did. And they said, we're going to teach you how to eat like Achaeans and drink like Achaeans and be Achis. So imagine that, young people. How would that feel? What would your response be? Roll with it? Rebel? Fight? What do you do? Think about it. And then think about when you go to school tomorrow. Because there's a whole lot of non-Christians, except maybe some of you at homeschool. It's Labor Day. Thank you. I can always count on you, Nate. Think about when you go places this week and it's not a Christian environment. But I digress. The king assigned them, Daniel and his friends, a daily portion of food that the king ate. Here, have the new culture, the new food, the new structure. Now remember, for a a Hebrew, for a Jewish person, for an Israelite, there were certain what? Restrictions on what they could and couldn't eat. God had set up restrictions and said, look, you can eat these things, but don't eat these things. And why did he do all that? Well, a myriad of reasons, 
But one of them, G-Man, was to keep them distinct from all the people around them. You are to be different. You are a chosen people. You're a holy race. You are not like everybody else. You're my people. You don't eat like everybody else. You don't eat the way that everybody else eats. You are distinct. And here the distincts are now being thrown in the blender with the godless. I continue in verse 5. They were to be educated for how many years, church? Man, y'all are quiet today. Are y'all with me? They were there for three years. So there is a three-year plan to modify and transition these people into a new way of thinking, a new way of living. So young folks, y'all start high school, your freshman year. By the end of your junior year, you're supposed to be a full-fledged Babylonian Chaldean. You start college three years in. That's the time you have. You've got three years to become a convert. Or what? Well, you can guess. Or what? Or else. So they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Well, guess what? What would happen if you stood before the king and you hadn't been converted? If you didn't know well, if you didn't do things the king's way, how would the king respond to you? Among these were Daniel. Y'all read these names out for me because this is important. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. All right? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called... Belteshazzar, Hananiah, he called Shadrach. I say it like that. I know that's not how you normally say it, but I say that like that for a reason. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abadnego. Now there's a reason for their names. And if you've never studied this, I hope this will, will, will help you out. Before we talk about their names, though, let's talk really quickly back to verse 5. If you look in verse 5, there's going to be a test set up for these young men. And we're going to focus on these four young men this morning. These four young men were brought into a place of non-culture to do non-Israelite things. Now, the book of Daniel, as we're going to see as we walk through it, there are there is moment... After moment, after moment of testing that is going on. Daniel is a a series of tests of how people are going to respond to the world around them, the culture around them. Now, mind you, the culture is going to change. So keep this in mind in the big picture of Daniel is it begins with what king? Do we remember from last week? What was it? Nebuchadnezzar and the nation of Babylon. It moves then to another kingdom. In the midst of Daniel's ministry. And it goes to the Medes. And then it moves again to the Persians. So we've got three and even four kingdoms. That are going to come and be around during Daniel's life. And it's going to be test after test after test. Now. Who's being tested? Just a question. Who's being tested? Is it Daniel? Is it Daniel's three friends? Is it God? 
ultimately what we're going to find is the answer to that question is yes. Good answer, Stephen. Yes. It's always yes. The answer is yes. And, and here's the thing with this story. Every test is going to be an opportunity for God to display he is greater than any kingdom that exists. The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, may say, you do this. And God is going to say, I do what I do. Let me also remind you of the context that we've talked about over and over. The people of Israel are not seeking God as a whole. Daniel is the exception. Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego are the exception. They are the ones seeking after God, and God is going to do as he pleases. God has given them, verse 1 tells us of the book, God gave them to Nebuchadnezzar, and he's doing it for a reason to display his power. So let's see how that plays out today. Let's look at the young men's names for a moment. We talk about redefinition, right? Daniel, what do they rename Daniel? Belteshazzar. Now there is a Belshazzar who will come later as a king, but this is Belteshazzar. Which is a little bit different. It's got the T-E in the middle. Daniel is renamed Belteshazzar. Now what does Daniel mean? I shared it a couple weeks ago. Anybody know what Daniel means? God is my judge. Y'all are good. God is my judge. In other words, I'm accountable to God. I'm accountable to the Lord. Remember, the name ends in E-L. That means the Lord. The Lord is my judge. Look what they rename him to. The God Bel is my protector. Bel to Shazar. The God Bell is my protector. In other words, oh, you think you're going to be judged by God? Well, we've got a God that can protect you from him. So you're going to be called Bell Teshazar because Bell can protect you from that mean old God that you serve. Let's keep going. Hananiah. Hananiah means what? Yeah, God is gracious or God is favored. God has been gracious. Now, here's where Ak comes in. And it stands for the word Aku. Their God was named Aku. And so they, they named Shadrach, ending his name with the word Ak. And Shadrach literally means under the command of Ak or Aku. Under the command of Aku. God has favored you, but now you're under the command of Aku, Shadrach. How about Mishael? That is, who is God or what is God? It's, it's a worship phrase. Who is God? Mishael. I'm amazed by God. Who can understand God? Rather, they turn him, who is the God Aku? So a literal transliteration into, oh, no, no, not God. Who is God? But who is Aku or who is Ak? And how about Azariah? The Lord has helped me. Azariah, the Lord has helped me. Abednego, he's renamed. The Lord has helped you. Now you are the servant of the God Nebo. You're the servant of the God Nebo. We looked earlier at definitions that the internet or culture has Redefine words like feed, 
or friend or viral. These are words that have been changed or hijacked or reused to to mean something different. They have taken four godly men and tried to repurpose them, reapportion them to do something different. And this is where, church, I want to, uh, to share with you. It is important that we as Christians understand that there is a process by which the world, and when I say the world, I mean the system that is run by the demonic powers, the godless powers, the systems of the world that are against exalting Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God, Christian, is where we are. The kingdom of the world is where the godless powers lie. The God of this age runs them. There is a sense in which the world is trying to shape and redefine your thinking day by day. It is why Romans 12 speaks of the renewing of our mind, that our mind needs to be renewed. And Christian, let me encourage you, as we know later in Daniel, Daniel is someone who prayed three times a day specifically. A man who was in the word of God and seeking after God renewed his mind and focused his mind on the truth of God that he might not be conformed into the image of Babylon or the image of the Medes or the image of the Persians. Can I remind you, Christian, this verse from 1 Peter 2 that I read earlier? You are a chosen race, Christian. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Can I remind you, are you proclaiming the excellencies of God, Christian? When culture presses in and presses in and presses in on you, are you proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness? Young and old, there is pressure upon you to conform. Are you standing firm and allowing God to move and proclaim himself? There are words that are redefined in our culture regularly. Words that you wouldn't have imagined 20 years ago to be redefined. Where are you, Christian? Are you trusting God? Do you remember that God is your judge? That you don't need protecting from God other than in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He has saved us from God's wrath. And for all who look to Him and believe in Him, He will save your soul. Let's continue on in verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the... Or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to show him. To allow him not to defile himself. Now notice that Daniel takes a stand. And he says I'm not going to defile myself. Uh, Verse 8 says Daniel resolved himself. Uh, If you've ever studied Jonathan Edwards. He was around many hundreds of years ago. But he made a list of resolutions when he was like 18. That were uh, unbelievably Mature for his age, but he made resolutions. We don't much make resolutions today, but these are formal decisions. I am not going to do this. I am going to do this. 
Resolved, I will go to church. Resolved, I will follow Jesus Christ by doing this action. Resolved, I will never commit this act. They are resolutions, they are commitments, and this is what Daniel does. He makes a resolution to honor God and honor God's command and will in a society that didn't allow that. And so he goes to, wisely, he goes to the steward and asks the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So let's be clear, very clear here. Daniel did not live in the United States of America where we have a Bill of Rights and we can have things our own way most of the time. I mean, you can do strange things in America, lots of strange things, and walk down the street and you see people doing stuff you never thought you'd see people doing, but they're doing it, and you just walk on by. This was Babylon. This was a ruthless, terrible nation that was, whose goal was to take over the world and conform everybody, obviously, to their own standards. This was a place not easy to say, eh, I don't think I'm going to drink your wine and eat your food. So the fact that the king's eunuch didn't just uh, go out after him quickly uh, is a, a bit of a, uh, is a working of God in itself. Uh, for instance, how many of y'all are familiar with North Korea or China, these governments that are, are very much strong? They determine what you do. They determine how you do things. They oftentimes determine what you do as a vocation, how many children you can have or not have, those sorts of things. Uh, this is more like the culture that Daniel was in. And Daniel says, I'm not going to do it. And he goes wisely and he, he makes a request of the eunuch. And let's find out in verse 9 what happens. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So what happens? God gave. Did you see it there? God gave. One of my sons asked me this morning, does God control things like, like all things? God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the king of the eunuchs. God changed this eunuch's mind. God does what God wants to do. And so he does. And he protects Daniel and honors Daniel's resolution. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord and king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you're in worse condition than the other youths who are your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So the eunuch comes back and says, look, yeah, I, I, I understand you don't want to do this, but my head's going to be on the chopping block if my group of guys look bad, scrawny. This is a huge ask. Now, let's put it into context a bit, though. Daniel is going to ask for, and we'll see it in verse 12, he's going to ask for 10 days. Now, how long did they have? They had three years. So 10 days is not going to make or break their, uh, their look when they go before the king. So Daniel asks something reasonable. He says, look, let's, let's get a test. 
for 10 days, and that's what he's going to ask. But we have to know that this eunuch is not just worried about being nice. He's worried about his job. He's worried about not being killed. You would endanger my head with the king. It's a huge risk. Nonetheless, Daniel takes it. Verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward of the chief of the eunuchs that had been assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. How long? Man. Test your servant for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat, water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for 10 days. Daniel's really going out on a limb. But Daniel says, look, test and let's watch what happens. Now, how many of y'all, do we have anybody that, that is, and you may not want to share that. That's probably an unfair question. But you might know somebody who is a vegetables only kind of person. Right? Only eats vegetables very conscientious about what they eat and says, I've given up meat and I'm only going to eat vegetables. What does that normally do to your body? Does it make your body look bigger and stronger? Granny says, no, you got a garden. I trust you. It makes you look leaner. Right? I mean, that's what eating vegetables and water does. Some people even turned it into the Daniel diet, I think, to lose weight. Of course, that's not what's going on here, the admonition. But nonetheless, test your servants. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And see how we compare with the king's servants. He trusts God. And so the question I want to to ask before we see what happens is this. So Christian, for a moment, give me your ear. When was the last time that you had to trust God and believe, truly believe that his commands, that his asks of you, what he is asking you are worth sacrificing or going out on a limb, if you will. On. Oftentimes what I find is Christians go through life and they, they see commands that God has given to them and they say, well, how can I get around that? Or eh, that one's probably not so important for me. It's not a big deal if I get around that. That's, that's not the posture that Daniel had before God. Daniel's posture was God has commanded this, therefore I'm going to do everything within my power to make this happen. Even if it costs me something, I'm going to let my faith direct my deeds. And that's what Daniel does. So I'll bring in from the book of James. Chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have deeds or works behind them? Can that faith save him? There are many, many, many people who, 
who believe that if I believe there's a God, everything else is going to be okay in the end. If I believe God exists, that's what is my ticket to eternal salvation. But that's not the kind of faith that Daniel had here. And I'm going to share with you, that's not the kind of faith that Jesus proclaimed for us to have. In fact, James addresses that and says in verse 18 of chapter 2, even further, he says, But some will say, You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You say you have faith, but you don't do anything to honor God or serve God with your life. I'm going to show you that I have faith because I honor God and serve God with my life. Do you see the difference? Now, what is it that saves us? It's the faith that saves us. Therefore, you are by grace you are saved through faith. God's grace, he bestows upon us a measure of faith that saves us and brings us into living out because of the faith he's given. To say you believe in God and then have nothing of God-honoring lifestyle or service in the kingdom is preposterous. And, and it, it does, wouldn't make any sense to any of the apostles, much less Jesus himself. Jesus would say, you want to follow me and then offer me nothing in return? What kind of faith is that? I'll continue with what James says. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. There is much more to Christianity than believing, believing in God. We must be a people invested into our faith by what we do. And that is what Daniel is doing here. And why? So why? What is the end game that Daniel gets here? What, what is it at the end? Daniel looks like a great guy because he made a great choice. Is Daniel so that Daniel can look like a great historical figure? And we can say, man, Daniel, what a great guy. I want to be like Daniel. Is that why this book is here? I beg to differ. If we read Daniel chapter 1 and go, man, Daniel's awesome. Hoorah for Daniel. We've missed the point. So I'll ask you, church, what's Daniel 1 about then? If it's not about Daniel being a great guy, what is Daniel chapter 1 about? Verse 15, after 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the vegetarians got fatter in flesh than all the youths that ate the king's food. So the steward took away the food and the wine that were to drink and gave them their vegetables. Daniel 1 is not about Daniel being an awesome guy. Daniel 2 is not about Daniel being a great guy. Daniel 3 is not about Daniel being a great guy. What happened here was, was miraculous in a sense. 
I mean, we're going to see it throughout the book of Daniel. God moved. God altered the mind of a eunuch to give grace to Daniel and his friends to do what they wanted to do, which was contradictory what the king commanded him to do. Do you believe that? And then to test that, Daniel said, I believe in my God enough to say I'll do something that's not supposed to happen to make something happen. And it's crazy, I know. But the Lord does it. God is moving in Daniel and Azariah, Hananiah and Mishael's lives and moving in their bodies and ordering things to happen so that those around them see. And you will see over and over that the God of Daniel is the great and most high God. This is the story that God is working toward. This is the end of the book of Daniel. So let me pull back then. Back to century 21 and you and me. And this is this is the test. Y'all, this is the test. When somebody looks at Hilton Gidry, do they say, man, Hilton Gidry is a great guy? Well, some of them probably do. But I can tell you, if I talk to him right now, he would say, you better not be thinking that. You better know that the God that Hilton Gidry serves is a great and mighty God. So, Christian, I want to ask you, what is your end game? What is your end game? You're not in ancient Babylon. You're just not. You're in the U.S. of A. God bless the U.S.A. What is your goal? Do you want people to see what a great coach you are? A great teacher you are? What a great nurse you are? What a great mom you are? What great kids you have? Or do you want people to know that your God is mighty to save? Do you want people to see that the God that you serve is greater than the culture that you live in? Do you want people to see that Jesus Christ is God above all other gods? And that he is the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. What is your end game? So my my encouragement for us this morning as we read this and we see what's going on with this this narrative is Daniel was blessed of God. There's no doubt. He was a man of great wisdom. Uh, God's hand was on him. But I also believe that each one of us in this room, God has gifted. God has given a measure of faith to us. God has given us giftings by his spirit. God has formed you and knit you together in your mother's womb. You are a piece of God's body here in this church today for a reason. And it's not to make yourself look great to your church mates. It's for us to cooperate together to make God look great to the world that needs salvation. If we're not doing it together, this is just a... I mean, this is Project Runway. This is a fashion show. We come to church so that others can look at our goodness. That's not why we're here. We are here to proclaim the goodness of God. 
How does that play out? Church, how does that play out? Here's my question. Does anybody at your office know that you love Jesus and that your lifestyles are defined because you do love Jesus Christ? Do your classmates or your youth group mates, do they know that your devotion is to Jesus Christ and that he is worthy of your devotion? And there's a reason why you love him so much. Sunday school teachers, are you proclaiming in your teaching that Jesus is worthy? Are you proclaiming? Do do your Sunday school participants know that you have a love for a God who is greater and better than anything this world could offer? truly believe that is what's going on here. God is demonstrating who he is in the midst of a crooked world. And, and I don't believe our job is any different than that. God, use me. Proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ through me. How can we do that? Well, how do we cooperate to do that as a church? Well, I believe one of those is we, we need to live as church members as moral, upstanding people. Certainly Daniel did that. Are we doing that? We need to proclaim a message that is more than just we're nice people. We need to proclaim a message that Jesus saves sinners. So what are we doing to to make sure that the things that we do as a church proclaim the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ and that he can save sinners who will repent? What are we doing? What else do we need to do? We need to equip each other to have conversations. Our Sunday school class this morning, we talked about people who wrestle with their worth or value. And, and where do we fall on that and, and how do we address that? Because I believe our class knows people that wrestle with these things, Christian and not. So what do we do? We proclaim Jesus to them. All of this comes together to church. What are we doing? Let's proclaim Jesus Christ the Lord. If you're not a Christian this morning, let me explain to you what Christianity is. It's not that we become a Christian and we become better than everybody because we don't do certain things. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, I've recognized, standing before a holy God, which the Bible says we will all do. We will stand before a holy God that I am condemned because I have not done what I've needed to do. I'm fallen. I'm, I'm sinful. I'm a rebel against what God has commanded. However, God sent his son because he loved us. And God sent his son to die upon a cross. To be hung on a tree and to die. And to pay my sin debt upon that cross, the the debt of death that I owed, the Son of God paid. And that Jesus Christ, three days later, after he was laid in a tomb, rose from the dead to say, not only do I pay for death, I also offer new life after death. And the Bible says, if you repent and believe, then you too will die, but live again. Because Jesus Christ will come and rescue those whom are his.
So that's what Christianity is. If you would like to repent of your sin, I prayed for you this morning. I did. Prayed for you this morning. If you're not a believer, pray God save souls this morning. Convert people to Christianity. Let people know that there is a God who is able to save. Not only is he able to, but he will. All those willing to repent of their sin. So if you're willing this morning, I invite you to respond and say, Jesus, save my soul. Save my soul, Jesus. My life isn't about me. My life is now moving forward. It's about honoring and proclaiming Jesus Christ. And the decisions I make when the world presses in on me are going to be decisions that are going to honor the Lord God. So Christian, that's what I give you today. As you leave this place, Christian, there will be pressings. There will be compromises that are asked for. There will be things that come to you. Do something that presents Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord in those circumstances. Do something that presents Jesus Christ as your reason for making those decisions that you make. And pray and ask God, Lord, honor this situation and may you receive the glory whether I hurt or whether I succeed. Whether I hurt or whether I succeed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and we're grateful for the saving grace of Jesus Christ. God, make us strong. Help us to make decisions that honor you. And we pray, oh God, that your grace, that your power be proclaimed in us and through us. For from you and through you and to you are all things. To you be glory forever and ever. Amen.